Everybody got their Bibles and their notebooks? Mine has Pixar characters on it, so mine's cooler than yours. <laughs> Bibles and notebooks. Why do, we, why do we talk about Bibles and notebooks? Well, we're going to preach out of the Bible. So it's probably in your best interest to have a Bible to read along with me, to, to know how to uh, read your Bible. Honestly, I think that the landscape of the church in America would change drastically if people just started reading their Bibles again. If they would just pick them up for 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes. That's not even a whole show on TV. 15 minutes. Somebody like, I don't have time. I have to watch eight episodes of Pretty Little Liars. And then, and you're like, I have no time. Yeah, that's like three hours of television. I don't watch Pretty Little Liars. But some people do. Whatever. I don't really know what it is either. I just know I see it on Netflix and somebody's got to be watching it. Um, <laughs> my point is this. If we would just take some time each day to read our word, I think that the whole – our church would be changed. The church in Canastota and upstate New York would be changed, and our country would be changed if we just read our Bibles. Stop watching Pretty Little Liars. All right. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 18. And so we are continuing our, our sermon series in the book of Habakkuk. We're almost done. We're going to end chapter 2 today. And then in chapter 3, it's all going to be it's going to be two segments. Habakkuk is going to pray, and then he's going to sing. When you meet Jesus, I mean, when you meet him and there's no more doubt left in you in that moment, there are very few adequate responses. You see a lot in the Bible, you see men who, who meet Jesus or they have this encounter with Christ and they fall as though dead. That's an appropriate response. To be met with the glory of Jesus, to be so overwhelmed with his presence, falling down like you're dead, appropriate response. You also see folks who, they have this meeting with the Lord and they pray. And that's what Habakkuk does first. And then, that's not enough for him, he sings a song. I love, I love to sing. If you ever see me driving around town, you're, if you didn't know me, you'd think I was a lunatic because I'm always yelling in the car. But I'm not yelling, I'm singing. And, and I'm just, whatever the song is, is, if it's just something that I really like, I just sing it really loud. I don't care. Um, singing is one of those ways that we can express ourselves that goes beyond simple words. It's why when we fall in love, we will grasp onto a certain song. There are still certain songs that I hear today that have nothing to do with love, but they came out when I first met my wife, and they take me back to that time where I was, you know, 20 years old, and, and I just met her for the first time, and we, we went out and we just started discovering life together. It was awesome. And it's just simple songs that I hear that came out at that time. That's how powerful music can be. And you can use it in that way, or you can utilize it in the worship of Jesus. Just all of a sudden sing out a song. Instead of just saying, I love you, Jesus, just belt out some kind of a tune. You know, my daughter does that all the time. She'll just sing the random stuff she's doing, and I love it. It's, it's beautiful. And I wonder if the Lord looks upon us the same way I kind of look upon my daughter when she sings about stuff. When we sing about him, if he's just pleased, he doesn't care that we're out of tune. He doesn't care that we can't play our instruments. He doesn't care that we're not professionals. He just cares that his children are singing about him or his creation or his love or what have you. But before we go there, we've got one last response from God to Habakkuk. And today it's going to be a very challenging word. Um, you know, I just talked about a lot of like warm, fuzzy, praying, singing. But today is going to be a little more hardcore. Today is going to be a little more harsh. Not harsh, uh, brutal, but challenging. You will have to make a choice. You will have to start questioning yourself, what you believe, what you think you know about Jesus. And if you're not doing that on a regular basis, I want to encourage you, always challenge what you think is the truth. Always challenge what you think is everything to know about God. I want us to have this understanding that, yes, Jesus is to be known, but we're human and faulty, and we might have something that we know about Jesus that's not actually accurate or true. And with 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 truth, it doesn't take a lie to eliminate truth. It only takes a small deviation. It only takes one aspect that's a little askew that will change your trajectory, that change your direction, and 10, 15 years later, you're really far off from the truth, but you think 
No, I, I, I preach the truth or I believe the truth about Jesus. So Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 18 says this. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath, uh, no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let's pray. Jesus, your word is good. And for me, Lord, I need your help to preach. I, this is all about you. It's not about my opinions. It's not about what I think. It's about what your word says. Help me to preach and help us to receive from you today. Holy Spirit, have your way amongst us. Open our ears, open our hearts to receive only your truth. Help us to question. Help us to be healthy in our skepticism. But help us to uh, put all of, our, all of our eggs into your basket today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Has anybody here ever been to like a swap meet or uh, not a, really a rummage sale? Swap meet, uh, maybe down to New York City or a, or a bigger city where there's a big shopping district. And you, you go to a place and uh, like for me, I'm a big fan of Oakley sunglasses. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but Oakley sunglasses, they're very expensive. So I've only had one pair. My wife got them on a deep discount like 10 years ago and I broke them and haven't been able to replace them. Um, they're very expensive. But if you go down to New York City – you can find uh, Fakeleys. They're fake Oakleys, and you can get them for like 10 bucks. They'll ask for 20, but tell them 10, and they'll take 10. Um, and they look like, from a distance, they look like the real thing. They're, they're almost spot on. But as you start to examine them, you look at them like, wow, this is really shoddy. This is not good quality. Like, the lenses don't fit right, and the plastic is like really plasticky and they're just not great but nobody else will notice so you put on the oakley's and hey everybody thinks you have oakley's now the problem is it's a knockoff um you find this and whatever your hobby is today one of my hobbies is is uh, guitar playing and so there's a difference between a well-crafted guitar that has nothing to do really with price but something that was really put together nicely and then something you can buy at big lots there's just a stark difference between the two and so whatever your thing is, maybe your thing's a certain craft or or maybe your thing is is uh you know fishing. When you buy something of quality, it's it's it looks so much better when it's next to the thing that's poor quality or a cheap knockoff. Habakkuk, God is talking to Habakkuk about idols. And many of us, we don't have big wooden carved stone gold overlaid our uh, idols in our homes right now we 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 have different types of idols and we'll get into that in just a moment so when the bible starts talking about idols we can kind of get lost we don't have big statues in our homes that we go and we bow to and we don't think that those statues are alive for habakkuk's day and time and, and, and honestly that still happens but i'm talking about us specifically for Habakkuk, what God is addressing is folks that did just that. They created their own God. They created their own cheap knockoff of the Lord. And what makes, what makes that so enticing, what makes that so intriguing to the non-Christian is that when you have this idol, you make it in your image. In Genesis, the Bible says that we were created in God's image. But when we create idols, we get to make God in our image. And we get to manipulate and change everything about this to suit our needs. I was reading an article about uh, International Yoga Day. And one of the outreaches of yoga uh, in the country of India, one of the problems they were having is that Muslims wouldn't do yoga. And so they were like, well, you know, you can just say Allah. And I thought, you, you could just... It, Wait, don't you have strict rules about what you do and do not do? You can just change this to feet to meet uh, to to I can't even talk to to meet your fancy to whatever whim you have. Well, I want my God to be tall. Well, then make him tall. Well, I want my God to be loving. Make him loving. Well, I want him strict. Well, then make him strict. That's the that's the false beauty about an idol. 
We get to make God however we want. The misunderstanding of our culture and generation right now is that we're not a religious people. That's actually not true. Our generation is more religious and spiritual probably than many of the generations before us because people love making their own idols. You want to you wanna make your God a man? Great. You want to make him a woman? Great. Asexual? Great. You want him to uh, be a part of your whatever. You're, you're, you are pro-stop uh, human trafficking? Well, God, your God's for that. Make him like that. Human trafficking is a bad thing. Not, that's not the point. The point is if you want to make God be on your side, then just make him on your side. And we as Christians can be guilty of this as well. I look around the room. I don't know how many of you are non-Christians, but I'm going to say for the most part, many of you consider yourselves Christians. And so to read this and say, oh, false idols, I'm done with that, we have to be very careful. God's word is eternal. It is for us today as much as it was for Habakkuk. And so one of the problems that we have as Christians is that we make Jesus in our own image. And today I want to challenge you. Do you know what you know about Christ and, and is what you know actually biblically accurate? Is it the Jesus of the Bible or is it the Jesus of your creation? One of the reasons why we as the church do not consider people like the Mormons Christians like us is because they serve a Jesus that is anti-biblical. They, they serve a Jesus, they preach a Jesus that's not like the one found in the Bible. So we go back to the Word. We believe what the Word of God says about Christ. We don't add to it. We don't take from it. If the Bible is silent on it, we, we kind of hold it with an open hand. Just to make a, give a really silly example, let's just say for some reason, Jesus' hair color was really important to you. We have no indication as to what color Jesus' hair was. But you might say, no, I'm, I'm sure that region, dark hair, blah, blah, blah. You might say, no, all the paintings I see, he's got a Bon Jovi haircut. And you argue about that. That doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't tell us. So if you want to believe that Jesus had cornrows, fine. If you want to believe that Jesus had a crew cut, great. But we really don't know that information because God has been silent on that. That's a very silly, silly silly reason to ever have a theological disagreement but nonetheless not far off from many of the ones that I've heard but the Bible is concrete on certain things about Jesus the problem is today is a lot like the day of the judges if you read the book of judges it's uh it's just after the first five books after Joshua there's this period between settling in the land of Israel and the kingship of Saul and then David. There's this, there's this period where judges, the book of Judges keeps repeating, there was no king in that day, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Um, you've probably heard the argument, well, that's good for you, but not for me. Or this is what's right for me, it may not be right for you. Sort of the same mentality. A lot of religious, uh, religious tolerance. Hey, you know, God has given us specific commands on what to do and not to do, but hey... You just do what you feel is right. So then you start concocting your own religion, your own practice. Well, I feel like God is most present during the daytime. And at a certain time, and I have to face a certain direction, and I've got to have my head covered. And then, and only then, this feels right to me. It must be what is true. And so the next thing you know, you have a whole doctrine and theology based upon what you feel. Well, why is that a bad thing? You might be saying, Pastor Tony, this is... This is who I am. I'm just trying to be true to me. What about, what about my feelings? Aren't I important? The Bible's not really big on our feelings. Let me give you five scriptures that kind of back that up a little bit. Number one is Genesis 6 and 5. This is just prior to the flood. This is where God's like, okay, I'm going to flood the earth. And Genesis 6 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. This mindset still lived on through Noah. Though he was saved from the flood, human flesh still was there. Through him, his sons, and his sons' wives, and, and his own wife. 
This was not completely annihilated in the flood. If it was, Jesus came and died for no reason. But the Bible says that man's heart is continuously focused on evil all the time. All the time. Do you ever just drive? Nothing, nothing confirms this scripture to me more than just driving. You just watch people. They want to shave 0.7 seconds off their life or off their, off their life, off their commute. So they're willing to t put your life at risk. Are you kidding me? Like you didn't even use a blinker. You just cut me off and almost sent my family into a ditch so that you could get to, you know, friendlies or something 0.5 seconds faster. Always on evil continuously. If you do that, shame on you and repent really quick. I'm serious. <laughs> Genesis 6 and 5 says that that's our hearts. Psalm 51 and 5 is from David. King David, the Bible says, what does the Bible say about King David? He was a man after God's own heart. That's high praise. Like if God looked at me and said, hey, you're a man after my own heart, I would just be giddy. Wow, that's high praise from God. So we, we, we understand that David, despite his, uh, you know, his sin, his heinous awful gross sin still considered a man after god's own heart in psalm 51 and 5 david says this behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me basically what david says before i was even born i was a sinner before i was even thought of i was i was draped in sin i was born into this iniquity I was born into this sinful nature. Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You ever see those things? Follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. Your heart wants to put you in a ditch somewhere. Like you, Your heart's not going to help you. How many people have left their wives or husbands because they were just following their heart? How many people have ripped off somebody because they were following their heart? They won't say, oh, I ripped them off because I was following my heart, but that's what they were doing. The Bible doesn't tell us, hey, follow your heart and everything will be fine. The Bible says your heart sucks and you need a new one right now. It is, it is, who can even understand the filth of the heart? It gets better. Matthew 15 and 19, here's Jesus specifically, for out of the heart come evil thoughts Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Those things which we commit externally begin internally. When we, when we destroy somebody verbally, it's not just our mind thinking of things to say. It's, it's what's inside of our heart. When we look at somebody and we hate them, it's a problem with our heart. When we lust after a woman or a guy, that's a problem in our heart. Jesus said that's where sin begins. That's where the, 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 that's where the garbage just begins. It just comes out later in your actions and in your words. So if you never go your whole life ever saying a bad word or saying something bad about somebody, but you think it all the time, it's still there. You just have a really good habit of being quiet. But the problem is still right in your heart, your heart is corrupt and evil romans 3 and 23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god romans and romans 9, uh, 3 and 9 says that we are all underneath sin we've all committed sin and like a big tarp sin is just on top of us we, we are in sin and we are of sin no, the bible nowhere indicates that that our hearts are good in and of themselves by, their, by ourselves, our hearts are not good. But that's why Jesus died for you. I mean, he loves you. That's one reason. He wants to forgive you, but he also wants to change your heart. And this is why an unchanged heart creating an idol is so dangerous. Because an unchanged heart is creating whatever they want. It suits their needs. So now you have a, a person who's okay with white lies. Well, their God's okay with white lies, too. Or you have a God who's okay with, with swearing, well, or a person who's okay with swearing, well, their God's okay with that too. Because they're creating their God in their own image. The 
Old Testament specifically, when they talk about the, when they use the word idol, we in the English, we see the word idol, but there are 18 different words used that are translated into idol for the English. And I thought, you know what people want to hear? They want to hear all 18 definitions because they're big Bible nerds and they just want to know all of this on a Sunday morning on Father's Day. I'm not going to do that. I will give you sort of a rundown of what they all mean in the Hebrew and they are translated into, the, into English into idol. Filth, not, nothing, corrupt. It speaks of how they were made, meaning they were either carved out of wood or stone or they were cast as a metal. Some folks' idols were, were metal poured into water in whatever shape they took. That was the idol. Some, some groups, it was something that fell from the sky, a meteorite, and they just assumed, oh, it's God talking to us. So this big rock must be that God. And then you have the God of that thing, whatever the meteorite is. The Bible has nothing to good to say about idols. In the book of Acts, Paul runs into a bit of trouble because he starts telling the people, hey, don't worship idols. And they're like, yeah, that, that's good. That's, Jesus doesn't want us to do that. But the idol makers in town, the union of idol makers, got really mad because they were losing out on money. Not because the goddess Diana, whom they were making idols for, was losing out in, on reverence, but because they were losing out on revenue. Hey, man, this guy's preaching not to buy idols. I can't move these things anymore. What are we going to do? I know. Let's get Paul out of here. And that's what they tried to do because the, the, there's a lot of money to be made in false idols. The prideful of chapter 2 in the book of Habakkuk were not anti-religion. They weren't anti-spiritual. They were anti-God. First John talks about the spirit of antichrist that has already come. We talk about in the church the antichrist. Who's the antichrist? And who, you know, who's it going to be? Well, it's this guy, that guy, this politician, this big CEO. The Bible says that the spirit of Antichrist has already come. That it's already at work, and it has been at work for quite some time. And you see this most often when you become specific about your faith. When you start using the name Jesus rather than God. A lot of folks get really excited when their favorite actor starts talking about God. But, but you can do that safely without being too committed. It's the difference between saying something like, as a guy, I love women or I love my wife. Both kind of say the same thing, but they don't, do they? One says, I'm very specifically devoted to one individual. The other says, I'm specifically devoted to one specific gender. And that includes billions of people on the face of the earth. When people get on TV or in the media and say, I love God, well, which God? Which God are you, are you just using that umbrella term for? Is it Allah? Is it Buddha? Is it this? Is it that? Is it the tree in your front yard? Like who, who is that God? I don't want to nitpick, but at the same time, specifics in this kind of are a big deal. We worship Jesus specifically. We are Christians not because we believe in God, but because we put our faith in his son. In Christ alone, we have put our faith. That's specific, and that's when we start to meet a lot of the, the, the kicking, the kicking against the goads, the, 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 the people who just don't want you to talk about Jesus. Talk about God all day long, but they don't want you to talk about Jesus because the Jesus of the Bible demands a response. Jesus is not just an accessory to your life, like a handbag or a wallet or pocket knife. Jesus is life. John 10.10 10. He came to give life and life more abundantly. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He, it's, not, it's not about, hey, Jesus, come make my life better. It's Jesus, come give me life. Come give my life purpose. Come, come make me brand new. Cause me to be born again. I was born first in iniquity, but now I want to be born in righteousness. Now I want to be born into perfection. Jesus demands this type of response. Jesus is not of our own making. You guys know who Tim Keller is? He's a pastor, preacher out of New York City. Um, is he still alive? Is he really? Thank you. Uh, I thought he was alive. I think I was thinking of David Wilkerson or Dan Wilkerson. He's dead. David, yeah, he, he passed away a couple years ago. But Tim Keller says this, Only if your God can outrage you, out, 
outrage you and make you struggle will you know that you worship the real God and not a figment of your own imagination. If you never have a battle with your God, he's always cool with every choice you make. He loves everything that you do. I am going to put my money down on you worshiping your own God, you worshiping a false God. Because I find that the things that I most often want to do, those are the things he tells me not to do because my heart is corrupt. And so many times I find myself telling God, God, I don't even know what I want. Can you help me? Can you even show me what it is that I want? That's how messed up I am. Like I think this is a good route, but even in this I feel selfish. Even in, I want the church to grow, but why do I want it to grow so that I have adoration for growing a church? Well, that's a stupid reason to grow a church. Do I want to grow a church because I want people in Canastota and in our area to know Jesus? That's a better reason. But I need Jesus to fix my heart before we go down any kind of bad road. And when he tells me no, or slow down, or speed up, and I'm like, ah, I just, I just want what I want. Then I'm more, I, I'm more apt to believe that I'm hearing the voice of the Lord rather than the voice of my heart. Because the voice in my heart just says, do whatever you want. Let them all deal with it. You do what you want, Tony. You're great. Not true. You ever seen the movie, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Chronicles of Narnia? Love that movie. Love the books. In the books, there's this character named Aslan. He's a lion. He's sort of a metaphor for Jesus or an analogy or, or, or just an example of, of, of Jesus. He's the almighty of Narnia and all that other business. But one of the great attributes of Aslan in the story is that he's wild. He's untamable. He doesn't look like a lion you'd see in a zoo somewhere just laying there doing nothing. He's, he's just huge and he loves and he, he's mighty and ferocious. The Jesus of the Bible is He's not bound by our limits. Have you read when he makes the whip of cords and flips the tables? I know we like to go there whenever we're angry, and Jesus didn't flip tables and all that all of the time. But he went into the temple and just started messing everything up because he saw people that were being taken advantage of for their faith in God. Can you imagine if we were in here and some guy just came in and started flipping stuff all over, took all your pies and just threw them against the wall? Like, what? Who are you? Started making a whip? Like, I'm going to make a whip. Because he's obviously going to hit somebody with the whip. You'd be like, whoa. Now, some churches need that. I'm not going to lie to you. Because we be worry so much about the church, we don't think about Christ. And the point is Christ. And if churches are taking advantage of people, Jesus has got to flip some tables. That's okay. But Jesus is not bound by etiquette. Jesus is not bound by the way we have always done things. Jesus is not bound by tradition. If he doesn't like something, if it's not according to his way of doing things, he will change things. This is, I think, what the Bible is talking about when it tells us to fear the Lord. Not to be afraid of him, but to realize that he's in control. This is his church, and he will not allow somebody or anybody or any group to mess it up. He loves his church. He'll shut it down if he has to. Jesus loves you and his church so much that to not do that would actually be evil and hateful. He'll allow us to see the folly of our choices, but he saves us. It's for the purpose of saving us that he allows us to see that. Going back to C.S. Lewis, the writer of Chronicles of Narnia, he said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a, as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept him uh, accept his claim to, to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who, is, who was merely a man and said those sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something else. You can shut him up for a fool you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. 
He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What Mr. Lewis is saying is that Jesus is one of three things. He was a lunatic, he was demon-possessed, or he's the very God he claimed to be. If he was simply just a moral teacher, then he lied when he said that he was God. And the things that he did, I don't know how you attribute those miracles to a lunatic, but some might do that. But it's one of those, or he's God. And all of the evidence comes to – you can't have Jesus and just have a piece of him. I like this part about Jesus. I like the part where he loves me no matter what. I don't like the part where he makes me stop sinning. So I'm going to just create a spiritual buffet and take what I want from Christianity and then go over here and make my own thing. That's what the people in Habakkuk's day were already doing, and that's why God sent Habakkuk to proclaim the gospel to them, if you will. How can you know if the Jesus you serve is the Jesus of the Bible? I'll give you a really, really good tip. Read your Bible. How do you know that the Jesus you serve is the Jesus of the Bible if you don't read your Bible? It is impossible. Now, but with, with Christ, all things are possible. Yeah, I guess. Okay, you got me on that one. But how much quicker, how much better, how much more thorough would your knowledge of Christ be if you simply read your word? Now, we're not talking about all of you going to seminary, going to Bible camp, devoting the rest of your life to the study of the word. Those are great endeavors. We're just talking about the everyday reading your Bible. Just 5, 10, 15 minutes out of your day. I guarantee you, if you watched your day and cataloged your minutes, you would find not only places to read your Bible, but you would see where you waste so much time. If you could calculate how many minutes you were on Facebook. Oh, but I see things about Jesus all the time. That's not the same. You can't just look at a meme and think, oh, I read the Bible. That's ridiculous. And half the time, the stuff you see on Facebook is bad anyways. It's all about how you can be rich and all this other business. Nonsense. Garbage. Just sitting down, you and the Word, with a paper Bible. I'm all for Kindle and iPad and your phone and stuff like that, but this doesn't get notifications. Nothing pops up telling me that somebody just watched a cat video on this. I don't get the latest tweet from my favorite athlete on this. Oh, just paper and ink and read the word now these other methods i think they're great when that's all you have if you're out and about and you have your phone with you and there's a bible app hey man read the bible great you're gonna be in you're gonna be sitting in front of a you know in a parking lot for five minutes waiting for somebody or something read your bible for a few minutes awesome way to redeem that time don't do it while you're driving i'm not gonna make that mistake again <laughs> where was i but just reading your Bible, that's how you know Jesus. Read your Bible for like a month straight and then watch something on television about Jesus. Your mind will be blown. What are they preaching? This isn't biblical. That's not what the Bible says. That's not who Jesus I just read this. I just read that. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't give out holy ketchup packets full of water to make me jump and be healed of my paralysis, like this bozo says on TV. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, Jesus says, come to me, all those who are burdened. Come to me, all those who are tired and weary, and I will give you rest. The Bible doesn't say God wants me to be rich. It says he will supply all of my needs from his riches, but it doesn't mean that he'll make me rich. Doesn't mean he wants me to be poor either. If I just start giving away all my stuff, I might help some people, but that doesn't make me more or less godly. Sometimes sometimes fathers just give their kids gifts, right? Sometimes I give my kids gifts and I want them to do something with it. Those are usually the gifts they don't like as much. <laughs> it's an educational gift, you know, it's a it's a book on how to write in cursive. Gee, thanks, Dad. Like this is gonna go really far. But then you just give them like some Legos. Oh, man. Oh, Legos. 
And I'm just like, just make Legos, man. I just, just go have fun playing with those Legos. Or here's a, for Ellie, here's a, here's a stuffed animal. And she's not like, well, I, I want to give up this stuffed animal because maybe you'll give me a bigger stuffed animal. That's ridiculous. She just goes and says, I got a stuffed animal. And she just runs and she adds it to her, 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 uh, her commune that she's starting of soft toys where people are growing vegetables and all kinds of hippie behavior uh, with the, all the soft toys in her little uh, commune of people there. It's not, she's, it's, does that just make sense? I, I see this dumb meme where Jesus is giving a little kid a bear, and or he's asking for it. That's what it is. And behind his back, he's got this giant bear. Like, if you just give me all your stuff, I'll give you more stuff. What kind of Ponzi scheme is that? The Bible says God's ready to give. He loves giving good gifts to his kids. He loves giving the Holy Spirit to you. He's already given you Jesus. Everything else after Jesus is like a distant second. He's already died in your place. All this other stuff is just, eh. One day it'll all become kindling and it won't matter anymore anyways. Will God make you give up stuff? Absolutely he will. Sometimes he'll make you take your stuff to bless somebody else with your stuff. So that becomes their stuff. And you'll do that and you'll do it joyfully and it'll be awesome and you'll love it and you'll feel close to God. But saying I must do that all the time is the same as saying God wants me to be rich. It's just the opposite end of the spectrum. And the Bible has not given us that kind of authority. The Bible has not given us that kind of instruction. So here's your challenge. Christians, those who call yourself, you call yourself a Christian, you identify as a Christian, because apparently that's all you have to do to be anything nowadays, you just identify as something. You know, I'm a cactus, that's how I identify myself. I drink very little water as a result and love hot, dry climates. I must be a cactus deep inside. But if you proclaim or profess to be a Christian, generally if you tell me that, I, I, don't, I don't have the authority to say you are or you are not. If you come to me and say that you are, I will take you at your word, and then I'll watch you. Are you giving generously? Are you loving not just the people who love you, but those who are unlovable? Do you love God's word? Do you love God's people? Do you, do you like to study the Bible? Some of you are like, well, I didn't really go to school. I'm not really, you know, really that smart. Yeah, some of the best theologians were just like you. Some of the best theologians that we know were fishermen. Like fishermen, I think... No, I'm not going to make a bad fisherman joke. There's too many fishermen here. Let's just say outsmarting a fish is not doesn't take a lot of brain power. Let's put it that way. Metal hook and a worm, that's the extent of what you're going to do. Um, but my point is this. For these fishermen, they became the greatest theologians we've ever known. Outside of Christ, you have men like Peter and John who just were fishermen, casting nets, pulling in fish, hard manual labor, and they became experts because of the Holy Spirit of God. Not because they were super great or went to school all their life, because they loved Jesus. So, so Christians, do you serve the Jesus of the Bible or do you serve the Jesus of your creation, the Jesus of your mind, the Jesus that you want him to be? If Jesus never makes you mad, I doubt that that's the real Jesus. If Jesus never challenges you to do things that you don't want to do, I doubt that that's the real Jesus. If Jesus ever never says anything that causes you to be heartbroken, not with the intent of breaking your heart to make you sad, but to break your heart to make it new, may not be the right Jesus. Begin to read your Bible again. Remove outside sources. Remove those who have pointed you in one direction and just go to the word and let it be you and Jesus and, and his word. Non-Christians, maybe you're just not there yet. Maybe you just kind of come to church. Uh, it's not really your thing yet. You haven't really met Jesus. Um, maybe you're turned off by a Jesus that you've created. Many folks are appalled by Christians, and sometimes for the right reasons, because they've been jerks. But sometimes they create this false Jesus in their mind, which keeps them out of the church or keeps them away from faith. 
And so I would challenge you, if that's you today, maybe the Jesus of the Bible is different than the Jesus that you feel has been portrayed to you or explained to you. Go back to the Word of God. Read the Gospels. Read about Jesus. Read about how much he loves you. Read about how much he hates sin. Read about how much he hates the un, or excuse me, loves the unlovable, and he hates the religious uh, and, and pious and arrogant. How he loves people who are broken, trying their best, and really is not crazy about folks who say one thing and do another. Read about how he was willing to die for you, then destroy you because of your sin. When, when we say that we are saved, it is from the wrath of God that we are saved from. Yes, you're saved from sin, Satan, and death, but all of that is a result of God's wrath. So if you can, imagine just God's wrath being poured out like a pitcher or a bowl, and Jesus standing there taking it all while he protects you from it. Your faith gets you there. Read the Bible. Don't don't wonder why life is the way that it is and never and never open this up. You're going to read stories? They're just going to blow your mind. I've, I've been reading the book of Joseph. Anybody ever read the book of Joseph? You forget about him, right? Joseph, right after, you know, he's the guy who succeeds uh, Moses, comes after Moses. Joshua? What did I say? Joseph? It's Joshua. You're right. Thank you for that. Thank you. Let's rewind that a little bit. So, you ever read the book of Joshua? <laughs> so I've been reading Joshua this week, this week. He goes into Jericho, and they march around, and the things fall, and like that's what they did. And you know who got saved in that story? Prostitute. Like who sees that one coming? Like we would never write that story. They would never say the whole city was destroyed except for the prostitute. They'd be the first one in line. We'd say, no, there were prostitutes, and there was tax collectors, and there was people who did this and that, and they were the first ones to die. But in this story, prostitute. I wouldn't have wrote that story. Then they're so victorious, and they're like, yay, and God had told them, hey, any spoil you get from there, gold, silver, whatever, it all belongs to the house of the Lord. Don't take it for yourselves. They go to this place called Ai, a small Italian place, I guess. Ai, that's a joke. They're not all good. Ai. They determine, they look at Ai, it's a small town. Yeah, we can take it. We're not even going to send our, the Israelites were not even like really good soldiers, but they were like, you know what, we could take this place. 3,000 guys, send them out. Take Ai and we'll be done. Just a blip on our radar. They go there and 36 Israelites die. They run away screaming for their moms because they're losing to this little tiny town. What happened? Somebody in the previous battle stole stuff hid it in their tent, buried it under the ground because they wanted to have some silver and some nice clothes. So what happens to him? They stone him to death. What? Because he stole? Has anybody here ever stolen? Doesn't that scare you? Like they stoned, they, there was a big mountain of stones. That means there was a layer of stones on top of them and they just kept chucking them and chucking them. It's not high enough. Keep throwing rocks on top of that guy. And I thought, that seems very um, intolerant. And then I remember 36 people died because of this man's greed. 36 families are now without a, a dad or a husband because this guy wanted a few trinkets. 36 sons no longer have a father. 36 daughters no longer have a dad. 36 wives no longer have a spouse because this guy want to just have a little something for himself. And God's justice, just because you don't see it immediately, doesn't mean that God is still not just. You don't get that story. That's not the story you get in the, you know, you don't watch VeggieTales and get that story. You got to crack open your Bible. You got to read the Bible. Read about the feeding of the 5,000. Read about just Jesus just loving the unlovable and loving kids and just being who he is. Let the word increase your faith. I believe it's in the book of Romans. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You, you, you got you to gotta get into your word to know more about Jesus. So what do you do? 
We can't just keep this all up in the air and be like, oh, yeah, I should read my Bible. That's a good idea. And just leave it all. Like we got to do something practical. You need to look at your life. Dads, it's Father's Day. Love you. This starts with you. You want your kids to read their Bible? They better see you reading your Bible. You want your wife to read her Bible? You better intend on helping her out to read her Bible. You had better read your Bible. Look at your day. Where can you read? One of the things that I did practically, not to toot my own horn, but one of the things I first did when I was first getting involved in ministry, I read my Bible during my breaks at work. Sometimes it was an early shift. Sometimes my big, massive Bible was a huge one. It became a pillow. I didn't learn much then. But there was other times where I was awake enough I could just read a chapter. It wasn't even a lot. I only had a 15-minute break. And if I was going to be late, what better reason? Hey, I'm reading the Bible. Lunch break. Eat my food. Read a little bit of the Bible. Where can you make time? I guarantee you make time for stuff. I don't have any time. I know, but I bet you do. I would just, I just bet you do. I bet you're super busy and there's still time to find to read your Bible. Wake up a little bit earlier. What I like to do is I like to stay up really late, like 3 o'clock in the morning late, and read my Bible. And sometimes I fall asleep reading my Bible. I don't like that so much. So then I have to read it during a different time of the day. Try to make it the first thing you do. Show of hands, how many people the first thing you do is look at your phone when you wake up? Come on, be brave. First thing you do. Look at your phone. Not your phone, because you still have a rotary phone. It's not doing anything when you wake up and look at it. I'm talking about your smartphone, not the cat one with the eyes that goes back and forth. That's creepy. But like your iPhone, your, your, your Android phone, you just you wake up, oh, what happened on Facebook? Did somebody text me? Oh, email. I have an email. <gasps> There's a sale at Old Navy. What if, crazy thought, what if you just read your Bible when you first woke up? Like you're just you're just rubbing your eyes like, oh, man. And then they tore down Jericho by walking around it. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I didn't live in Jericho. Let's go have a good day. It's just making time, man. I guarantee you that the Lord can do a lot more with the people who know his word than he cannot, or that those that do not. God can do all things. He can speak through a mule. I know that. But stop relying on those verses and just start reading your Bible. Because you might be taking them out of context because you don't know the Bible. So let's pray. Let's stand. Not a lot of feel-good, warm fuzzies today because feel-good, warm fuzzies sometimes make us more complacent. Today is challenge. Are you going to read your Bible? I can make you – thank you, Laura. I can make you sign a document, and then you'll regret that you ever signed the document. I can make us all pledge and all this other business to do so many minutes a day, but honestly, I'll just create more guilt that way. How about if we do this? How about if today, just today, you find time to read your word? Many of you are going to go to picnics, eat a lot of food. Many of you are going to go out to lunch or dinner with your fathers or your grandfathers or whatnot. But you're going to have time somewhere that's downtime. Where can you spend 10 minutes? I don't know what this is. Ten, mi- 10 minutes. Where can you find 10 minutes? Where can you find 10 minutes? Many of you, and then I don't know how this is going to sound, but I'll just say it. Many of you, I call you up, and, and, and we can just, Johnny on the spot, we can meet up, go do something. Sometimes, not every time. I know some of you can make time when you need to. Make that time. Make that effort. Can God use you without you reading your word? I guess. But why would you make him do that? I just why, – why would you – could you be married to somebody without ever talking to them? Yeah, I guess. But that sounds like a really bad marriage. I like having a good marriage. I don't know about you guys. I mean that's my goal. I want to have one, you know. So if I can invest myself – if I can invest myself in this relationship, I think it would go better. Does it make sense? So I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, today was I, – I feel like today was all practical, Lord. Maybe we're missing a lot of the, the big fanfare about church, the, 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 loud, the loud worship or the, the moving you know, word that just 
crushed us or whatnot, but Lord, I really think that a lot of that is birthed out of people just knowing your word. Knowing that, that as Pastor Mike said today, that the, the Holy Spirit descended upon a church that wasn't focused on themselves and focused on their life. They were there focused on you. That when Peter began to preach, he didn't just give a lot of opinions. He didn't just give a lot of theory or what he thought was right. He quoted from the book of Joel. He brought to them the man David as an example of what God was doing in that moment, what you were doing in that moment. Lord, I pray that, that your word would be more precious to us than gold. It would be more precious to us than Netflix. It'd be more precious to us than video games or talking to our friends or being on Facebook. That would be more precious to us than, than, than anything else that we can encounter. That we would make time each and every day. And Lord, we're, we're super busy. We wake up running. We go to bed running. We're just, we're, we're exhausted. Help us, Lord. This is where we come to you for the part that we cannot do ourselves. Do something in each individual's lives so we can have time to pray and read your word. Lord, that we may grow in the faith and in the knowledge of your son. That our lives would be radically changed really through a miracle. The miraculous work of your word in us. Jesus used an analogy, used a, a parable of seed and soil. And the seed was your word. And it was sown into four different soils. And there was only one that bore any kind of real lasting crop or fruit. But your word says that the, the seed that went into the good soil bore 30, 60, and 100 fold. It wasn't just they got a little bit of the word and a little bit of stuff happened. A little bit of the word caused hundreds and thousands of things to happen. So, Lord, I guess what I'm asking is that you would take these hearts, our corrupt, broken, idle, searching for hearts, and make them into the soft, fertile soil for your word. That we would look at your word differently. That, that even when we don't understand it, when we read stories and we just can't fathom why you did what you did or what's even happening in the moment, that we would still have faith that you were doing something good. And may we see, whether it's the beginnings of Genesis or in, or in Joshua or, or in Judges or in the Gospels or in Book of Revelation, may we see Jesus in every page. And the gospel that he died for our sins, that he loves us so much, that he lives for us today, seated at the right hand of his Father, that we would see that truth and be changed forever. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.